This podcast is proudly brought to you by Sky Racing and Inglis, number one in its field. Well, few jockeys in Australian racing history have made more sacrifices to stay in the saddle than Larry Olsen, who retired in 1998 with more than a 1,000 winners and 24 Group 1s, and one of those was the Melbourne Cup. By his own admission, he wasn't a sensible waster for the first 20 years of his career, and at one stage in the early 80s, he got so tired of the grind that he turned his back on racing completely. He went dairy farming for about three years, during which time his weight soared to almost 80 kilos. How he rode Kenzai at 51.5 to win the 1987 Melbourne Cup is one of the most celebrated comebacks in racing history. Throughout his career, Queensland-born Larry Olsen had the respect and admiration of owners, trainers, fellow jockeys, and is universally recognised as a top-class rider. Larry's just back from a three-month stint in Singapore, where he's been working as a form analyst and mounting yard assessor for the LIM Racing Organisation. Larry, your good friend Mick Dittman works for the same operation, and he actually recommended you for the job. Yes, Johnny did... um yeah, uh, I, I did ride in Singapore myself uh, back in the uh, well, late 70s and that was at the old Bukatima track and of course mm. where they are at Cranji today is uh, a beautiful complex. They spent over a billion dollars on it and uh, the facilities are just uh, just enormous they are and it was a, a great experience but um, yeah, I did enjoy the three months. I still, in fact, uh, do the form with Mick and... Uh, we sort of uh, dovetail a bit as to what he thinks and what I think, and uh, mm. and between us, we usually get a few winners out. Yeah. Well, family commitments brought you back to the Gold Coast, so I guess you've slipped back into retirement. <laughs> yeah. Well, I since I give Sky, well, Sky finished in about two thousand and fourteen. Um, yeah, life is sort of. Uh, Sort of retirement, John. I live on a few acres up here at the Gold Coast, just in the hinterland a bit, and uh, mm. hard to get horses away from the horses. I've bred a few, and I've still got a couple uh, at the moment. So uh, there's always plenty of slashing and mowing, and God knows what to be done because yeah. she's a very fertile piece of ground here. Larry, you were apprentice to the late Mel Barnes, a very astute and clever trainer who had his horses based at Nudgee Beach. I think that's where you were born and reared, Nudgee Beach. Yes, it was, John. I, uh, <laughs> I went to the school there, a little uh, uh, school. I think there was about 40 to 50 kids taught at that school, all eight classes, all primary, and all taught by the one teacher. And he used to ride a bicycle 10 miles there and back. He lived at Chermside. You'd mm. never hear that today, would you? No, you would not. <laughs> Mal loved to travel with his horses, Larry He'd go to meetings right up and down the coast into New South Wales And on one occasion he landed in Sydney He based himself at Canterbury And you actually had your first race ride in Sydney And that was in 1963 But it wasn't for Mal uh, You rode a horse, we think it was for a very... V- uh, experienced trainer and a very astute old trainer by the name of Bob Mead. Yeah, 
Yes, it, uh, you're bringing back a lot of memories here. Yes, um, I, I was very young at the time. I had my first. That was in October 1963. I just turned 15. Mm. And uh, yes, we used to travel the horses everywhere and uh, down through the country, New South Wales. And I learned to ride on Nudgee Beach with Mel Barnes. And I can't think that man, thank that man enough for, uh, for my career. For uh, he took me through to about. Uh, I was about 17 years of age when he, he moved to Sydney. But mm. that first ride that I had at Canterbury was over nine furlongs, I think, in 63 yards at the top of the straight. Yeah. And uh, I remember going to the races that day. John, you couldn't believe it, you know. Um, I, uh, I, I rode in the barrier trial at Ramwick, and they passed me. They gave, gave me an A licence straight away. Mm-hmm. That's how I come to run my first ride in a race at Canterbury. Normally, here in Queensland, you have to do so many uh, rides or uh, out in the country and provincial mm-hmm. areas before they would ever think of getting you an A license. But anyway, this day was—I um, can remember walking into the uh, jockey's room with uh, Darby McCarthy, who was apprenticed to Mel Barnes at the same time, mm-hmm. and to walk in that door was just like walking into heaven to see the likes of George Moore, Apple Mully, Jack Thompson, all those riders, even blokes like Stan Cassidy and that beautiful man that you learnt, you know, that you sort of followed and uh, and learnt a lot off those people in later life. But um, that in itself was just, uh, oh, well, I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't believe uh, you know, what was happening to me. But in that first race that I had, um, he ran forward. It was 33 to one shot and uh, Darby said to me, he said, mate, he said, when you come into the straight, he said, don't, don't go pulling the stick and, and, and doing too much. Just try and sit there and ride it out. Don't, don't uh, try and do anything silly, this sort of thing. Mm. Anyway, when I come into the straight, I, 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 as you do when you're a kid, you walk around with your stick in your hand, flicking it through your fingers and <laughs> giving yourself a slap on the backside and around the <laughs> leg. That's how you learn to do that, you know. Yeah, you, of course. Anyway, um, I pulled the whip and uh, and I give him one hit and I put it away, like Darby said. And then when mm. I come in, my boss, Mal, said to me, yeah, Mal Barnes said to me, he said, where did you learn to pull a whip like that? He said, you should have kept going. Mm. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> <laughs> he did. Of course, he's 33 to 1, 4th, and run a real good race, you know. So yeah. uh, that was my introduction to racing, my first ride, and um, mm. yes, Canterbury. And still very clear in your mind, but you had to go back to Queensland to ride your first winner, and that was at the Little Gatton track. And it was it was a uh, only uh, it was I'm not certain there was only three or four runners in the race. But, uh, he won just won the race. Uh, yes, it was a, a big comeback from uh, from riding in Sydney, of course. But uh, that's the rules that they had at, up here at the time. But um, uh, it's funny, John, as years would go by, uh, Gatton was where I made my comeback after I uh, the dairy farm episode, mm. and that was for Pat Duff. And uh, that's where I made my comeback before winning the Melbourne Cup on that same track, Gatton. A trainer called Sid Brown and a flashy chestnut called Triton came into your life in 1972. Sid had Triton in the Stradbroke. Graham Cook knocked the ride back. So did Roy Higgins. Wasn't that good of them? Yeah, well, you wouldn't believe it at the time. Yeah, Peter Cook had been, uh, not Graham, it was Peter, 
Peter, oh, Peter Cook, was it? Yeah. Yeah, that's him, mate. Yeah, Peter wrote him and he'd written him in Sydney before me. And, of course, uh, Sid had offered the ride to Roy Higgins and he knocked it back to, to ride one of Bart's, I think it was. And Tommy Brazel was uh, was right on the spot at the same time. Him and He and Keith now. And uh, Keith now got in his car. I was over at Doombin riding work. And uh, Keith now got in his car and come over and pick me up and come back. And uh, he said, Sid Brown's looking for you. Right in the Strabro. Well, you yeah, couldn't believe it because prior to that, I was in the process of giving riding away. I was, I was struggling to get rides. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, I picked up a ride for John Rosenthal and another chap, uh, 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 mate of mine here at the coast, Jim, Jimmy Burke, and you wouldn't believe that I rode two winners, and I thought, well, I'll hang around now, this is in late, around about May, I thought, well, I'll hang around till the carnival, and you never know what, what might happen, I might pick up a ride, and as luck would have it, I picked up the ride on Triton, and there it was, I, I come out and I won the Stradbroke on him, what a great horse. He had a great association with Sid Brown after that. And he was a horse with problems too, wasn't he, Larry? Sid had uh, a million yeah. and one problems with him. Uh, we, we used to call him Dadda. But he was so bad. I remember the morning of the, uh, the Epsom and uh, he used to shuffle along. He was terrible. They wouldn't let him start the day if they saw him because he used to shuffle. We could get him out on the track and he'd be taking steps about two foot long, you know, and shuffling away, but then after a while he used to work himself out of it. And I remember that day I won the Epson money when I beat Gunsing, who had been taken off him the, uh, the year before, and um, he wasn't doing much coming to the, the, the half mile, and, you know, he seemed to be travelling okay, but wasn't doing much, and then he changed stride, and you couldn't believe it was the same horse, the extension and the stride. Mm. We just strode up right in between them, and then, of course, I just pushed my way into the race, up through inside of them. Landy went round on Gunsin. They joined together at the top of the straight, and they went head-to-head to, head to the line, and I finished up. I got him. I mm. got him by a head, but one one stride past the post, he had me. But, oh, two great horses, Triton and Gunsin, fighting it out, and all the way up the straight. Gunsin gave you two and a half kilos that day. Fancy giving Triton two and a half kilos. I mean, he was so gallant in defeat that day, the grey. Well, I won, I won about six races on Gunsin before he went to Tommy Smith, so I knew a little bit about him in that regard. But mm. you're right, John. Well, he, he actually, uh, I think he, uh, he'd give Triton a touch-up uh, in, uh, in the Doncast before he came up for the, for the Stradbroke. Mm. And uh, so that's that's the reason why he would have been given him two and a half kilos. But the weight those horses carried in that time, I think uh, I think Gunsin would have had something like uh, or sixty and a half, and, and Triton would have at least had fifty nine. You you never see horses weighted on uh, these scales today. No, you, you won a Rawson Stakes on Gunsin. You won six on yeah. him altogether, including a Rawson Stakes. Tommy Smith took over the training in 1971 and he obviously got better as he got older. But, Larry, casting your mind back, what did you really think of him at the time you rode him? Gunsin? Yeah. Well, Gunsin, I, I watched him all the way, uh, John, from the time he was a baby when Bill Willow had him and Johnny Evans was riding him at Durban because at that time I was riding for Jack Wilson, um, who I was apprenticed to. I spent the last of of my uh, apprenticeship time with him. Great man, Jack, too. 
So I, I'd seen quite a bit of Gunn Sin, and then I saw him when, uh, at Warwick Farm uh, with Johnny Edmonds on him, and I did follow him, but, uh, you know, they had a falling out, John Edmonds, with, uh, with Bill Willow, and it wasn't until uh, Gunn Sin was into his three-year-old years, I think Hilton Cove and Jackie Thompson had all ridden him before I did, but then when he came back to Brisbane, uh, I, I got on him there, and I won races like, I think it encouraged or something, and trial, uh, those sort of races. You know, he could still go through his grades, and uh, he was it was a really good horse. He used to put in outstanding performances, John. He'd be back in the field, and you'd sort of be a little bit concerned, but then, by oh, gee, couldn't he unwind? Mm. He could make up lengths and just fly over the top of them. Mm. Um, you know, the day... The day I won the Rawson Stakes on him, um, I beat George Moore on it. And um, that was over 2,000 metres, or two, two, 10 furlongs, I suppose it was in those days. Mm. And uh, as I come to the turn, I had uh, George Moore inside of me. And uh, and I, I think he was on... Crown Law, was it? No, 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 no. Planet Kingdom, would that sound right? Yeah, that does. Well, he was the same yeah, age as yeah. Gunsind, yeah. I think that was, and he was, he was inside of me. He'd all rough and tumble over, trying to think. That, and, and, and I had him in a pocket as we come around the corner, and I held him, and I held him, and I held him until we straightened, and then I kicked away. And then, of course, Gunsin was still too good. You know, he won quite well. Mm. But uh, George got out and run second, and I remember Keith Robbins coming to the door as they did in those days, and to, to get the story, he said, and he said to me, you held him in the pocket, didn't you? You know, right. I said, oh, well, look, I said, I just held my ground. Yeah. And he was trying to get me to say I held him in the pocket, but round the other side of the door, George Moore was sitting, so I didn't want to be yeah. getting offside with George Moore because uh, he, uh, he, uh, he was one bloke I used to follow in races, and of all the jockeys throughout my life, he was the one, the number one in my book, you know, Lady years went by where I rode against Piggott and, of course, uh, Mick Dittman come followed after that. But uh, uh, there was no greater rider than George Moore. And the whistle they talk about, well, I, he, 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 could just, he could just see the runs appearing, never mind about a whistle. Yeah, you know, it was skill, nothing to do with a whistle. Skill, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Larry, I'll get you to stand yeah. by there for a moment. We're going to pause for a break on the podcast and we'll be back with former champion jockey Larry Olson after this. The 2019 Sydney Classic Yearling Sale will entail four days of Book One, February the 9th to the 12th, when 808 yearlings will be offered and the highway session, book two, February the 14th, which will see a further 205 youngsters go under the hammer. Wednesday the 13th of February will be a highway race day at Warwick Farm, featuring two highway handicaps, one for country trained horses, one for provincial trained horses. If the winner of either highway race is an eligible English graduate, the winning trainer will receive a $50,000 credit voucher to spend at the highway session the following day. In recent years, the classic sale has produced horses like She Will Rain, Yankee Rose, Extreme Choice, Extra Brute, I Am A Star, Hellbent and Maid of Heaven, all distinguished Group 1 winners. Top horses just keep turning up from the Sydney Classic Yearling Sale. My special guest is former great rider Larry Olson, who retired as a jockey back in 1998. 
He spent many years after that working as a co-presenter with Alan Thomas on the Sky Racing Service on the Brisbane tracks, a total of 16 years, in fact. Larry, moving on now to perhaps the most important horse in your life, if not the best, certainly the most important. During the time you were based in Sydney, you forged a strong alliance with a trainer called Les Bridge, who had a horse called Kenzai in the stable. You had your first ride on him in the chairman's handicap at Doombin. You ran fourth. Les then took him to Grafton, where he won the cup. Hey, didn't you fancy a Grafton Cup? How many of those did you win? I won five, John. I, <laughs> I, I think I think the record might even show me having six rides in the race. Yeah. And the other horse might probably started favourite was on a bump track and he got beaten. But, uh, yeah, I won that Grafton Cup, home away from home, Grafton, John. Mm. As I say, we used to travel there with Mel Barnes with our horses, even at the age of when I was about 13 and 14, we used to travel to Grafton. So I knew Grafton track like the back of my hand. And, uh, yes, uh, going back to the Kenside days, it was uh, – I'd won the the Queensland Derby on a a filly called Princess Gracious. Mm. And Wayne Wilson used to do the – the videos at that time, and uh, Mm. I can't think of the name of them. And in that, he did an interview with me after winning the, because this was in the comeback. You know, I'd lost all that weight and everything. And uh, Les Bridge used to get these videos and he saw it. Mm. Next thing I got a call from Les and he said, mate, he said, I see in that video you did with Wayne Wilson. Mm. He said, look, he said, uh, uh, I had Gavin Gavin Duffy riding for me and he's no longer riding for me. So he said, look, I'm bringing a horse up to Brisbane for the Tats Cup, a horse called Kenzai. Mm. He said, we'll have a bit of a chat and go from there. He said, you can run off me. He used those words, Les, run off me and mm. works out, it works out. So Kenzai come up, Craig Carmody rode him in the, uh, in the uh, Tats Cup. Mm. He only had about 50 kilos. He won that. And then I did ride him in that race at Durban. He runs fourth, good run. Mm. And uh, he went, uh, then he went down to Grafton. We went to Grafton Cup on him. Mm. And then Les took him back to Sydney, and I followed Les to Sydney after that. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I and from there on, uh, well, you know what happens. I I rode him. I think I rode him in a welter. And I think he had yeah. a big weight. He won I a welter. He won that too. He, yeah, really? oh, he had a big weight. Then he ran yeah, second in the Newcastle Cup to his stable mate. Second in the Newcastle Cup behind the Brotherhood, his stable yep. mate. He should have beaten him. Mm. And then he came out and ran second in the Metropolitan. Yep, to Belciano. Twenty six hundred, Belciano. Cook rode it. I still recall uh, Peter Cook alongside me in the barrier, mm. and, and uh, he said to me, "He said, what are you going to do? Uh, you know, like, what, what are you going to do in the race?'" Mm. And I said, I'll let you know down there. That was down the straight. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he just looked at me. So I, 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 my idea was, you know, I was drawn out wide. I had to get, get him back in and smother him because he could tug a bit. You know, he used to race a bit keen. Mm. And Peter Cook went forward. He went into the race. And that's how it panned out. Mm. Peter Cook being forward, I got worked my way through and I slotted into second as we come to the line, but he was too good. Mm. And purely because I rode him that way. When I came in, I said to Les, I said, I still have this bloke. Mm. I said, I put him into the race and he wins it. Mm. He didn't care. He didn't show a thing, Les. He said, Well, he ran two miles. I said, My word, is, well, if I can ride him that way. Mm. He said, All right, mate, we're off to the cup. And that's how it worked out. 
we'd had him nominated, of course, but uh, uh, from that point on, when uh, Les asked me, would he run the two mile, but uh, mm. Les trained him magnificently. He knew him inside out, and I can recall uh, he ran, and I was actually uh, suspended before the uh, Melbourne Cup, and I didn't come back in until the eve of the race, and Pat Island rode, uh, rode Kenzai in the McKinnon Stakes. Yeah. Different race in those days, of course. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, well, with Kenzai, I can recall at Flemington uh, the week before the race, and Les worked him over 2,000, I think it was, and just doing even. I used to have to be as fit as him. I was running miles each day mm. and fit as a buck rabbit time. Yeah. Anyway, he said, Les, Les, uh, Les said, just let him pick up the last three, mate, you know. Mm. And I did. And, and, mate, he just, you couldn't believe the work. He mm. jumped out of the ground. And, he, and where those hats were out at Flemington, I thought, he's not going to make this corner out straight, you know. Mm. And uh, he just threw himself back on the inside, the near side leg and cut them straight around these, these hats, which are a, a little bit of a, a cute angle, you know. Mm. And when I pulled him up, he, God, he was in great fettle, and I thought, that works too brilliant. That's yeah. too brilliant to be running a race like the Melbourne Cup, but mm. Les had him carry right. And um, come the day of the race, well, there was only one way I had to ride him. I drew very well in the race. I think I drew about five. Mm. And I lobbed behind that big mare, uh, Empire Rose. Yeah. And uh, I, I knew, I just, so long as I could get cover with him, John, mm. if I could get him to cover and, and put him to sleep, uh, that was how he'd see the two mile out. And that's how it turned out. And he did relax or was he a bit keen in patches? No, he didn't, John. Not at uh, all. No, no, he was, he was terrific because I had... I had Empire Rose in front of me, and he was right. She was a very big mare, as you know, mm. huge, huge uh, over the hindquarters there. And he, he tucked in behind her. They were they were bouncing off her in front, and I was getting a lovely run. He was beautifully relaxed, like you know, I well within my grasp. Put it that way. But it wasn't until we came up uh, towards the half mile, coming towards this corner where. Uh, Empire Rose and Rosedale, Johnny Marshall moved up as well, and then they both eased out to get into the race because mm. riding as you do in the Flemington, you know, even though it's a big straight, they've got to have plenty of room if you can give it to them. And um, I couldn't, uh, I could, I, you know, I couldn't go with them at that time because I thought, well, if I do, you won't see the race out. So I decided to sit and wait on the fence, mm. and uh, and believe it or not. A race earlier in the day, I didn't get the run, but this one I did, and I was following Darren Beedman. Mm. He was on a horse called Scarvilla. I yep. can still remember those brownish-looking colours across mm. sash or something on them. And uh, his horse was tiring as it came into the straight, and he left the fence, and he presented me with the best run you've ever seen. That mm. I've often said it was just like the parting of the Red Sea, and yeah. how and that gap opened up, and King's Eye went into it. He, he actually... Went into it himself, trying to get into it quickly, you know. Mm. And he lost himself a little bit, and I gathered him up. And then, as we come down, I, you could hear the crowd cheering. And uh, because Empire Rose and Rosedale both began their runs, and they were chiming right into it inside the furlong. And uh, anyway, I, I was coming through on Ken's on the inside, and uh, I pulled the whip and I gave him a hit, you know, on the left hand. 
And when I did, you couldn't really, really give from underneath me. He'd give me, I'd say, probably about a half a length. Mm. And I rode him for another couple of strikes, and I hit him again, and he'd give me another half a length. Oh, yeah. And then I hit him again, and he'd give me another, and he grabbed him, and he just grabbed him before the line. And as soon as he hit the line, he was about a neck in front, and, and his run had been completely finished. Mm. But of course, then, you know, it's, uh, you're in Disneyland after that. <laughs> you oh, don't know yeah. where you are. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a feeling, Tom, that you uh, experience when you're in a race like the Melbourne Cup. It's, it's numbness to begin with, and then it all... Yeah. When I pulled up and fell back in the saddle and then turned him around and then you, you the people hanging over the fence and... Yeah. Oh, the, 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 what runs through your mind? It's 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 quite amazing. Like you know, that you've won a race like the Melbourne Cup and then to come back and absorb it all and come up through that uh, that lane by as they you know, go onto the track with the roses and that and, um, unforgettable all along there. And I remember a lady a lady yelled to me and she she had a rose and she threw it at me and I. And when I did, I, I caught the rose, the stem between my fingers, my uh, oh. fingers, you know. <laughs> and I dropped, I, I dropped my hat, and <laughs> the rose stuck in my hand, you know. Mm. So, uh, but Kenzai, oh, look, you couldn't, you couldn't, you know, script it any better than what happened to me throughout that race and oh, it how was, it all came about. Perfect. And for John, like when I started off, as you said about the weight loss, you know, I was out for three years and I remember um, talking to Kenny Russell, the late Kenny Russell and Neil Williams. They've gone now. I was up at Caloundra. It was about six months before I made to come back and, and I was at a function up there, I suppose, guest at the club or something. And uh, mm. anyway, they looked at me and they said, what are you doing? What are you doing? Bo? I said, I'm thinking about making a comeback. And they laughed at me, particularly that weekend, <laughs> you know. He just poking fun at you all the way. And anyway. You were nearly 80 time, kilos, weren't you? 79 oh, or 80 I, kilos. I stopped weighing. I did myself a favour. I wouldn't get on the scales after 75, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but I, John, I run. I followed the Pritikin diet. I did a lot of things. And then, of course, I come back down and it was, uh, that was in about the July period and by Christmas mm. when I had my first ride back at the Gold Coast on a horse called Dining Style. Mm. I jumped in the scales and I was 51 kilos. But I can tell you, I run miles, walked and run miles with sweat jackets on around, uh, you know, uh, up there in Brisbane. Uh, uh, near the, uh, the, the TV stations up mm. <laughs> I knew everywhere oh, God. and mm. I'd go from one side of Brisbane to the other but I was I, I was never so fit in all my life and from what I used to do mm. I was a lounge lizard but then to come back and get myself fit focused mm. and all of a sudden it was a new me you know going out in races and, uh, and, 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 and instead of coming back in sick and half spewing you you got out, you get down and do push-ups, you know what I mean? Like, it was just mm. totally different for me because of the way I was doing it. Larry, and from that, things progressed, you know? It, it should have been the happiest day of your life after that Melbourne mm. Cup win, but you were hauled into the stewards' room after riding a horse called Sound Horizon in another race on the day, and you felt uneasy when they kept calling you back calling you back, race after race, and you were still there well after the last. In fact, when you left Flemington that night, there wasn't a soul in sight. That was a, that, that was a sad part about it, John. 
I rode a horse called Sounder Rise prior to Kenzai, winning the cup. In fact, I had three rides that day at Flemington. The Sounder Rise, Kenzai won the cup, and then I rode a horse uh, in the Navy, which won the welter in the last. And when I, after I'd finished riding uh, Sounder Rise, they called me into the room to inquire you know, about my ride. I didn't think anything of it because it was self-explanatory. Once you see the film, what actually happened, uh, that's the end of it. But I couldn't, uh, you know, the, the, the line of question was, was, was stupid. And this went on for quite some time, not only on Cup Day, but also into the office of the VRC after that. All I could explain was what happened to me and what, 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 what occurred. But the intent, the, I, I just thought to myself, oh, they're just trying to upset me for the cup, you know, because Melbourne had a bit of a reputation that if you come from some other state, they treated you pretty ordinary. So it was part of the course, you know. Uh, as far as suspensions went, well, they, 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 they'd duck them down there and give, give it to you. But, you know, this was, uh, this was the type of thing at the time. But anyway, uh, I couldn't believe what happened. But no sooner I finished, uh, I won the Melbourne Cup, I was back in again, won the last race. Back in again after the last, and then when I walked out as you stated, I looked up the straight and I thought, did I win the Melbourne Cup? I can't believe it, what's, mm. what's going on. And then again, John, they, that, that was carried over into the offices of the VRC uh, till the Friday. I think there was a Thursday meeting after that. This was a, you know, you, <laughs> they've got me up, I've won the Melbourne Cup, and they've got me up over running an handling charge. Mm. And uh, what happened when we went to the uh, VRC offices on the Friday? With Paul Sutherland and myself, they let Sutherland off, and then they give me 12 months disqualification. Mm. So all in the, uh, you know, winning the Melbourne Cup to an undesirable year, so I experienced them both. Mm. And that what 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 they put me through just should not have gone on, John. Mm. And I and, and I got no compensation from it whatsoever. It was so unjust. The only compensation you got was a successful appeal. That, well, that had to come about because the inquiry was conducted in a pretty ordinary light and uh, the evidence that uh, should have been presented was was ignored and once that was shown... And what happened, it was Gerald Ryan, Gerald Ryan's evidence in the race. He broke an eye and he was riding on one leg and I was stuck behind him. Mm. They didn't even bother to question him. Yeah. And, of course, when the, uh, the appeal came about and Ryan gave evidence, end of story. So mm. sad. Mm, I'll say. Mm, so but still, they couldn't take the cup away from you, John. <laughs> and they never will, no. and it gets better every time I talk to <laughs> it you does, about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, now, Larry, yeah, a few yeah. months after the cup win, you completed a unique double by winning the Golden Slipper on Star Watch. How the hell did you get on Star Watch? You rarely rode for Tommy Smith. Les Bridge again. Les Bridge was uh, was very good uh, mates with. Um, uh, oh, you've got me in the back foot at the moment, but uh, he was uh, Brian Brian Newell. Mm. He was the uh, you know he was the big boss of Tullock Lodge. You remember when Tullock Lodge was started up in those days? Well, mm. Brian Newell was the man behind. Of course, Les had a number of horses for Brian Newell. And uh, actually, he was instrumental in me getting the ride on Star Watch. Uh, Mick was suspended. Uh, he he rode him, uh, and uh, he uh, uh, he rode him at his start before Canterbury, and he got beat. 
and mm. Mick Rope suspended. Yep. I think it was no, 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 Rose Hill, I think it was. Mm. He won at Canterbury. And uh, anyway, I got the ride. He had two runners in the race, mm. Tommy Smith, which was Cumberly Girl yep. and Star Watch. Jimmy Cassidy rode Cumberly Girl. Yep. She was probably uh, I think she was my favourite in the race. Mm. And I rode Star Watch. It was a heavy track, uh, but as I say, Les was instrumental in yep. me getting that ride. And uh, anyway, uh, we, 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 I, I'd drawn out with, uh, uh, down the outside, out the outside there with Greg Hall on uh, Zedative. Mm. And uh, anyway, I thought to myself, whatever happens, you know, Zedative was, was, was one of the hot pots. You know, he was a favourite along with Cunley Girl. And I thought, well, whatever happens to me, I'll make sure that he travels one wider. Whatever happens, you know, I'll... But he never got alongside of me. But I sat back about, you know, just back behind a 56. But I was three wide, but on that wet track, it didn't matter too much. He was travelling beautifully. And as you tend to do it, you sort of um, keep him a bit tight. You don't want to be uh, travelling a half a hole wider than what you really want to be. And I suppose it's worse to run into strife with the stewards a bit, keeping them tight. And uh, anyway, I heard a voice behind me on the inside saying, Lazar, Lazar, Lazar. <laughs> and I look back and it's Jimmy, Jimmy Cassidy on Cumberly Girl. I thought, that's a beauty. I've got him in there. Yeah. He's not going to move. I've got him trapped, you know. Mm. And and I thought, well, I've, the only one I'm going to worry about now is Greg on Zelative, uh, uh, you know, but Greg, Greg didn't come near me. So when we come around the corner, I sat and I waited and I waited and I waited. I purposely waited to hold Jimmy up inside. I didn't want to let him out. Mm. And then as we come down the furlong, I, I let him go and he took off. I could sprint to lovely little laws, Star Watch. And uh, he sprinted to the, the front, run about a length or so in, in front. And then next thing, Jimmy's got out and chased me, but the race was over. But there's no doubt that by me giving him a bit of, he was just getting a little bit tight inside and, and doing that, he's called to me, see? So that let me know he was in there. So there's no doubt that him calling, <laughs> it's probably the race because uh, I, I may have gone a bit too soon, you know. Mm -hmm. I may have. Mm. Larry, as good so, as Star uh, Watch was, you've yeah. always said a horse called Gull Bros was the best two-year-old you ever rode. And uh, th this was an amazing story. Uh, Frank Lewis got you to ride him work one morning, I think, in the dark, wasn't it? Yeah, John. What happened... Uh, I was supposed to, I, I'd won the Grafton Cup on a horse called Cross Swords, Ingham Horse. Mm. And he was in the Mooney Valley Cup. And I was also riding a filly for uh, Arthur Baxter, Maxie Lee's trainer, mm. called Flitter. Anyway, what actually happened, uh, well, old Arthur Baxter said to me, he said, son, he said, when you see her in the noms, just put yourself on her. And I kept running second on her, and just getting beaten. But anyway, when I saw her in at Mooney Valley, I, uh, that's the Cox Plate Day, I uh, I rung Maxie, I said, Maxie, I said, I'll ride that filly. And so I made, he said, look, he said, Arthur's going to put Stephen King on it. He said, such and such, he's been riding with I said, you can't even put myself on it. Oh, I can't do anything anyway. Yeah. End of story. So then Mick come to me at the races at, Bro at Warwick Farm. I think it was on a Tuesday or Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. And uh, he said, mate, he said, they're asking me to ride Flitter. What do you, what, what, what do I do? I said, you ride it. He said, look, he said, tell me he's going to put Stephen King on I said, it'll win, Mickey. Don't worry. You ride it. So when I went home after the races, I, I, I was really cheesed off. Mm. And I thought, well, I'll ring Frank. 
because young Donny, who was lost Donny some time ago, he was at me and at me about riding his horse. And anyway, I rang Frank up and I said, Frank, I said, I'll ride that horse work for you in the morning. Oh, he said, you'll be there pretty early. He said, you know, he said, it might be a bit early for you. I said, no, 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 it's okay. Anyway, he said, I'll be there at five o'clock. Ramming. So, okay, I'll see you there. Anyway, I rode him in his gallop and he worked with his stable mate. And, mate, I couldn't believe this work, honestly. Mm. It, was, it was sensational stuff. Came to the corner, I thought, God, he's flying. It's crazy. And then when I, uh, I straightened, I thought, this, this is not real. So I give him a squeeze and he jumped out of the ground. I grabbed him real quick. That was it. That was it. Pulled him up. Turned his head around like he hadn't, hadn't even been out. He wouldn't blow a candle out. And I thought, God, I've got on something here. This is enormous, you know? Mm-hmm. So then I started thinking about what was going to happen because he was in the Silver Slipper first start of the race on Saturday at Rose Hill. And uh, what I've <laughs> and uh, uh, they weren't happy that I uh, got off cross swords there. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't smart because he won the, the Mini Valley Cup. So anyway, uh, come the Saturday, and uh, I'm trying to think of... <laughs> You know, my wife's in Brisbane. I figured she had a bet once for, for herself, I should say. Mm. And uh, I asked her to go to the races and have so much each way, you know. Mm. She blew up. She said, oh, Nicholas has got tennis and Candace has got pony club. Okay, I get to the race. I said, well, just put so much each, each way on the, on the tape for yourself, you know. Maybe I'm coming down to the Melbourne Cup. Anyway, we got to the races, John, and... Um, Parading before the race, the owner came up, his name is Rick, Rick uh, Smith, Scottish bloke, and he says, uh, I said, he said, what do you think, Larry? I said, I said, Rick, I said, this horse can really gallop. I said, he's a very smart horse. He said, I just don't know what he's going to be like out of the barrier. But Frank said he ran second in the barrier trial behind one of Anthony Cummings. It was quite smart. He said, oh, that's good. I said, look, he said, if he jumps and does everything right, he'd be very hard to beat. Oh, that's good. He said, I've got him going for a lot of money. Anyway, I looked across the tape, which you could see from the, the semaphore inside the track there at Rose Hill. Mm-hmm. It was something like $80. <laughs> and uh, I said to him, you haven't had too much on him. still $80 on the tape. Oh, oh, he said, I got all the 130s out there, funny price. But anyway, I got all the 130s. Mm-hmm. I said, what? He said, yeah. He said, uh, he said I said, what price is he out there now? Oh, he said, there'd be only 66s. I thought, there's something wrong with this bloke, and I'm looking at him parade. Denham's got the favourite. I thought, he's lost a leg, this bloke. Mm. Anyway, lovely cold, lovely cold. Anyway, I finished up. We went out in the race. And um, anyhow, uh, when he came out the boxes, he, he came out just a bit tacky, you know. Uh, this is a silver super first start in the race. Anyway, it wasn't long before he uh, he picked up. He picked up and into his stride, and then, as we come to the corner, it was only about 900 metres, I think, the race, and he was just full of run, and I had to bust the fish to get out the way. I think I give Rodney, <laughs> Rodney, Rodney, uh, 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 I just give him a bit of a bump out the way, and he, uh, he, uh, he squealed. Anyway, when I, when I got out and I straightened up, and I think the Brian guys was leading by six lengths, and I thought, oh, well, at least I'll run second, you know. Well, when I pull him out, I give him a hit with a whip. I just give him a hit with a whip. He went straight over the top, one by a length and a half, pulling up. You yeah, couldn't believe it, you know. <clears throat> I remember the and race well. Uh, oh, God, you couldn't believe it. So I pulled up and I'm, I couldn't get back to the, to the tote. The tote building to have a look. And I'm looking at across the tote and it's still $50, $60 on the tote, you know. And 
Anyway, when I went in, uh, there's a bit of a story behind all this, John. I don't know whether I can tell it. But it was, a, you know, giving a hundred to one about a horse like that, um, you know, it was a... Uh, once in a lifetime experience. Well, heart. once in a lifetime. And it was better yeah. than the Melbourne Cup too, I can tell you. But You thought he I was a six in, or seven to one chance? I thought he was a six or seven to four chance. Mm. Unbelievable. Not, not six to seven to one. He, he was odds on in my book. I'd never ridden a horse like it. It was the only horse I rode, John, that uh, I could, uh, you know, you know, hear the old saying that you put a house on it. Well, he was the horse you just kept putting a house on. That's the type of horse he was. Mm. Brilliant horse. Brilliant race horse. Larry, had it not been for Best Western, you may have given it away sooner than you did. I'm talking about that three-year layoff when you went dairy farming. You'd had a gutful by then. But he kept you going a little bit longer, Best Western. He had a short but spectacular career. He won seven out of eight. He raced only as a three-year-old before an early retirement to the stud. And anybody who might have doubted your nerve in 1981 quickly changed their minds when they watched you win the spring champion stakes on him. You forced an opening between two leaders, and to this day, I don't know how you got through there. I held my breath, John. Um, <laughs> he was he, he, he was a brilliant racehorse. He was probably as good a horse as I rode, and I rode him early in the piece for Neville Begg in the Barrett trial at Warwick Farm. Ron Clinton was away and Neville said to me, will you come out and ride him on the trial? I said, well, no worries, Neville. When I come back in, I said to Neville, I said, you've got nothing to get near this boat. Mm. So I was riding a bit of work for him at the time. So he's pretty smart. Mm. Ronnie Clinton come back and went bang, bang, won two races on him. Then, of course, he's, uh, he was going to be, um, oh, that's right, Jerry Harvey got in touch with Bart. Mm. And uh, anyway, uh, Bart, Bart's... When I told, I saw him coming in off the track one morning. I said, see that horse, Bart? I said, it went the slippery. He said, what is it? To Best Western. How do you know that? So-and-so, so-and-so. That's where it went. Next thing, I get a phone call from Jerry Allen. Oh, Larry, he said, I bought that horse, Best Western. I mm. said, did you? And he said, yeah. He said, I paid 600-something. Some silly figure, six, mm. 680,000, something like that. But Singo was in the, in, the, in, the, in the go with him too. Mm. Anyway, when they bought him, he came across to Bart, and then, of course, uh, he missed the slip that he got injured or something. And then he came back as a three-year-old. Well, I was up in Queensland at the time, and uh, I think John Morris was the foreman for Bart at the time. And uh, anyway, I hadn't been on Best Western. Even when I came back to Sydney for the, uh, for the spring, uh, I was up in Brisbane and spent a bit of time here through the winter. Mm. And then uh, when I went back down, I never got on him in the track boat at all, except into the race dive. And when I come out, I couldn't believe it was the same horse. I had all sorts of gear on him and everything, lugging a bit, rings, never had that in his life. He was a supple, beautiful supple horse to ride. Mm. Anyway, he came out like a frightened rabbit. His legs were going everywhere. Anyway, he got beaten. I think all Black Shears won the race. When I come in, Bart wasn't there, but I saw him at the track on the Monday morning. I said, Bart, I haven't changed my mind about that horse. I said, he's, he's a good horse, don't worry about that. Because they paid all that money. So he said, well, what do you think? I said, I want to ride him with I said, he's not right in the head, this horse. He's, uh, he's all over the shop. He said, okay. I never got off his back from that day after. And mm. I can tell you, John, within that week, I had him eaten out of my hand. He was he was a startled. You couldn't believe it was the same horse. And then all of a sudden, I had him just so beautiful and relaxed. Mm. Everything through those hands it was just amazing. 
John, it was never beaten. He came out, I think, in the uh, the up and coming or something after that race. Yeah. I sat back, fourth, fifth, bang, straight over from one eat going up. Then he went out and he won the Peter Pan, the gloaming. I won the gloaming by five lengths at Rosehill. Mm. Brilliant horse. Mm. Absolutely brilliant horse. I remember Bart never usually on the track to let him hit their peak. So one day I was riding nine evens on the A grass. He said, just let him pick up to the line the last little bit. And when I did, uh, like, like Kenzo work I was talking to you about, this bloke jumped out the ground. You couldn't believe what he did. And Ernie Smith said to me after it, he said, mate, he said, I've never seen a horse go that quick. Mm. <laughs> anyway, he came out. He won the, uh, he won the gloaming by five lengths, which is what, nine furlongs race Rosehill. And, of course, his favourite for the... Uh, he was uh, five to one on favourite for the uh, champion stakes. Mm. As luck would have it, I drew barrier one. And racing in those days was very, very competitive, I can tell you. Not like them today. They sit off one another and <laughs> there's uh, gaps everywhere. But in those days, uh, I was shutting. And I was shutting very, very solid all the way through the race. Coming to the corner and I thought, how am I going to get out of this? They knew what they were doing. They had me bottled up. And uh, anyway... And when we straightened, we got, came up over the rise and the leader, he just started to move a fraction off the fence. John, he wouldn't have moved a foot 18 inches. 18 inches, I reckon, it would have moved. And I was just so much full of horse and I thought, well, this is still a die here. And I, I drove him into that gap and he did. He went into it hard because he could sprint it. And he wedged himself into it and then he wriggled his way through and got out. Away he went and he won by a length and a half. Much to the, uh, well, there was a few watching me and didn't think, <laughs> you know, they thought they had me, they, they thought they had me done, put it that way. And uh, I got through. Larry, that, with, that with, was, the, uh, with very your, competitive riding, mate, I can tell you. With your weight under control, you went for another 10 years after winning the Melbourne Cup on Kenzai. But yeah. the defining moment came at a Tuesday meeting at Eagle Farm in 1998. You had one ride on the day. It started at 100 to 1 and ran accordingly. And when you came back into the jockey's room, you made a promise to yourself. John, I, you know, things were starting to, well, uh, 10 years after the Cup, and I was getting up towards 50. It, it's, it's a pretty long, uh, you know, pretty long time for a jockey. And for me, for what I'd done and things like that, there was there was no, you know, you're, you, 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 you're not as popular as you was. And I was flat out getting rides, and so much so that I was around the Christmas, and I think I'll jog your memory on this one, when I was uh, attending a Jack Newton event, a golf event up at... Uh, up at Noosa, and uh, on the way back, I stopped to see an old mate of mine at the Dobra pub. And uh, as we were going in there, my wife, Maureen, said, Larry, did you see who that was going up the stairs? I said, what, who? She said, that was Tappy. Tappy, here at Dobra? She said, yeah. She said, oh, look, you go and have a look. I'll better see him. Anyway, we went and had a look. It's called out here. That's what it was. <laughs> yes. And that's when I said to you that day, I said, John, I said, I think I'm getting to the end of my tether. Mm. And you said, mate, will you do me a favour? When you decide to do it, will you give me a call and we'll fly you down to Sydney and we'll announce it on Sky. Mm. So this day came about. It was a Tuesday nondescript meeting at Eagle Farm and 
for a mate of mine called Kevin Carney, he had a, this horse, oh, it was 100 to 1, and it run, it run the same way. Yep. And when I come in, I, uh, I said, well, that's it. And I didn't say anything to anybody or anything. I just packed my bags and I went home. And I thought, well, you know, I remember riding my first winner, uh, Metropolitan winner at Ad Eagle Farm on a little mare called, uh, uh, what did you do? Uh, Rose, uh, I can't help oh, you with this yeah. one. Yeah, I can't. Oh, you can't. I've got you up there on the back foot there. <laughs> yeah. uh, Derovia. Derovia. Yeah. For Bert Rocher. Bert Rocher. And I was 15 at the time. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, that's when I got home and then I thought, well, I'll, I'll bring John. And that's what I did. And then we announced it on Sky. From then on, mm. uh, you were very instrumental too in, uh, in uh, what followed uh, with, uh, with Sky Channel. And that was from 98 to 2014, 16 years with Sky Channel. Yeah, and you did a mighty job. And I do remember the day at the Debra pub. I'd been to look <laughs> at some harness horses not far from there. It was a hot day and I was feeling slightly dehydrated. So I yes. popped into this quaint little pub at Debra and who do I run into there? Larry Olson and I've been running into you ever since. <laughs> oh, <something. laughs> oh, well, that was a good move. Yeah, it good was. Move. Larry, we're out of time, mate. It's been a delight. It always is. And uh, great to have you on the podcast for the first time, but I'll guarantee it won't be the last. Thanks, John, and uh, to all those people throughout my career. Uh, there was many, many wonderful people uh, that helped me, and I'm still in the industry today, and, uh, you know, I can't thank them enough, neither. Too many by uh, to try and start naming them now, but, uh, no, I, there's a lot of people I've got to thank for my career anyway, you included. Thanks, mate, and this interview has been produced by Supernova Sound. Monday, April 8th until Wednesday, April 10, 2019 are the dates for the English Australian Easter Yearling Sale, the most important and influential yearling sale in this part of the world. While the final catalogue isn't released until January, it's shaping to be one of the best ever. There's a three-quarter brother to the Autumn Sun, a full brother to Merchant Navy, a half-brother to Shoals, a full brother to Brazen Bow, a three-quarter brother to Lankan Rupee, a full sister to John Snow, a half-brother to Unforgotten, a half-sister to Catchy, a half-brother to Dundeal, a half-brother to I Victory, a half-sister to She Will Reign, a three-quarter brother to Seamus Award, and a half-brother to Pino. Stallions with progeny in the sale are Schnitzel, Fastnet Rock, I Am Invincible, Reduce Choice, Sebring, Piero, and Written Tycoon. There's a strong international flavour with sires like Lord Canaloa, Deep Impact, Frankel and Tappet. There are 42 siblings to Group 1 winners and the progeny of 35 Group 1 winning mares. The preview magazine is available now and the final catalogue will be out in January. <laughs>